0: Stefano. This morning I got this really cool text from one of our youth. Uh, Lachlan texted me to say, hey Rob, real sorry I'm not there, but I am watching you this morning, (laughs) which I thought was awesome. So can we just like yell out, hey Lachlan, ready? Can we do it? Let's go. Hey Lachlan. He was probably at home going, what, what? <laughs> um, it was so cool because a couple of weeks ago, I didn't see him and I was like, dude, I missed you. Like, oh, but I was watching. I was like, but I missed you. So it was really nice that he popped me a text um, this morning. Uh, for those of you who are visiting us, we've been going through a bit of a journey as a church. Um, we've done a big, long series on WAF, uh, Warren of Fitness for Ourselves. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And now we're kind of going into... You know, what does God expect from us? How can we grow in our walk with God, knowing maybe some of our faults, some of our challenges, some of the stuff that we find difficult in connecting with God? And so we've been going through his temple. You know, it's the only house where God actually told us how he wanted it built. It's the only place where he literally spent 50-odd chapters in the Bible explaining to his people how he wanted this to look like? And so I feel it's important for us as we encounter Jesus to understand what it means, how God wants us to connect with him rather than how we kind of want to connect with him. And we have that freedom in Christ, but it's good to understand who God is and what he does expect, what he would like from us. Um, First question this morning is this, what does a church space look like? To you. What, what, you know, we hear this word church and, you know, people have got all these types of interpretations and stuff. But what does a church space look like for you? You know, when we go into some spaces around the world, the church is like this monolith that stands above everything in the town or in the city or in the place. I mean, it, it stands above Everything, you can see it from miles away. That's how, in the past, they built churches as reference points that you could look and see it. But it wasn't just that. The spaces inside were created in such a way that they um, kind of, really kind of worked on our senses. They told stories. They um, had pictures up there. They had ways of interacting with us, the sights, the smells, the sounds. Some places look cold and dim and foreboding. Others just kind of explain how great and awesome our God is. And you can see the work of other brothers and sisters, just like us many years ago, painting things that just seem way incredible as an expression of their love, of their adoration of God. And in a sense, when we talk about church, you know, we think, oh, but it's, it's people. Absolutely. It's all about people. But God is also very much about space, about what his people do when they come together. And, you know, it's fascinating when you look at, you know, even something like this, that, you know, imagine laying on your back for how many years to paint a wall, a ceiling, an expression of your love, You know, some places also may look foreboding. People are buried in churches as a place of safety. The church for many years, what they did was really just mimic the temple. God's want of a place and a space amongst his people. And unfortunately, in the Reformation, we kind of did away from that And for many years, we made our buildings practical, functional, a place where mission had to happen. And we got away from that whole idea of we don't bring people to us, we go out to them. And that's not wrong. We do. But it's God who wants us to come to Him. And so we've got to be careful to not throw out this whole image of what church and church space actually is. Of course, church is not a building, yet God is quite intentional about creating space, and that space has meaning and engagement. It's connection, it's understanding, no different to the amount of time and energy we put in our own spaces that reflect us, right? Right? how much time do you put work into doing your own house? I'm about to rearrange my living room again. And my family just does this eye roll every time. Oh, There goes Rob again. And the friends that come over, because they look walk in the place they're like, did you change? Even if I hadn't changed it, the first question is, did you change this? Because, no I didn't, I haven't changed it in more than three months. Oh, good on you. We do take a lot of Oh, these guys are all, look, this is called a servant heart. I was downstairs earlier, and they were making pikelets for kids in the church, and guess what they brought me? (laughs) Oh, thank you, dude. You are awesome. Oh, thank you, sweet. Look, there's butter on, too. You guys are amazing. If I start, thank you very much. Round of applause to our children's ministry. (laughs) Woo! Um... Intermission. Yes, So we're going to take a break for a moment. Um, anyone want to bring me a coffee while we're at? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, I want to eat it, but I no, it shouldn't. Imagine me talking and eating. That'd be great. Anyway, that, um, uh, Jackie's doing a wonderful job downstairs. It seems like they're having quite a lot of fun. And they made pikelets this morning. That's amazing. Uh, space. Space is important, and it's so important that when Jesus, when God built the temple, when he built the tabernacle, when he built his space, he was very specific about it, so specific that if you got it wrong, you got into trouble. And he he created it in such a way. That's the tabernacle. When we look at the temple itself, that's what it would have looked like. It's very specific. There's a great book I read many years ago. Uh, Was it 200 Pomegranates? for an audience of one, I think it was called. And on the top of the temple, one, one guy made pomegranates that, that are on the top of the temple. Nobody would ever see them because it's too high up. And back then, they didn't have drones. And, 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 and the, the book talks about the, the attention to detail of making 200 pomegranates out of, I don't know, clay or stone, whatever he made it out of and put on top of this temple, and there's only one only one that would enjoy it, and that's God. Because nobody else could see them. This is God designing His space, His place. And and again, we're modern today. We don't have temples anymore. We have ourselves, we ourselves as a group, are, are the temple of God, all of this and that. But... We cannot ignore how important this was to God. The last couple of weeks, we, we began on the, in the series of how to prepare yourself to get into this holy space. The first week, we talked about repentance, that altar. And as Bruce said, we, we don't have an altar today where you have to burn or kill something to come in. But you would have had to to enter God's space. That was, that was what you had to do. The first thing, it was in preparation for entering God's space, you had to repent. You had to cleanse yourself of your sins. And then the next point is that bowl of, you know, how many times the the, the reflection of that polished bronze looking back at you and washing your hands every time it got dirty, every time a sacrifice was made, a reflection on who am I? And now that you go through these preparations, we come into the holy space. This is the space. You've, you've, you've gone through the front gate. You've gone through the garden at the front. Now you're opening the door to the house. And there's three primary things that you would see as you come into this space. The first thing you see is the lampstand, the menorah, which is a classic, classic symbol Of Israel. You know, it's just the moment you see it, you think, Jewish. An incredible thing, lampstand. Next to that is then the showbread. Uh, There's 12 loaves of bread baked fresh right before the Sabbath and had to be eaten before the Sabbath. And it was 12, one for each of the tribes of Israel along with a filter of, of wine. And then at the back there was the incense. These three things God chose to decorate his house with. That's got to be important, right? I mean, there's no widescreen TV in there, dude. Does he have cable? Can we watch sky in there? What about a stereo? No, these are the three things God chose to have in his space. It tells you a lot about God. It tells you a lot. The showbread. We equate that to communion. In um, John chapter 6, Jesus talking to his people, he says, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us, just give us this bread always. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The showbread was the table of communion installed way before, way before that Thursday evening, at that Last Supper. It was a foretelling of what was to come. Communion is not just necessarily a sacrament. We love to think of things as sacraments. We love to spiritualize them. But at the end of the day, the whole point of communion is God wants to commune with you. He wants to connect with you. And how better to do that with some bread and wine. This tells us straight off the bat that our God is a God who wants to connect with us. wants to have a relationship with us. And Jesus takes that to the next level to say, not only do I want to connect with you, I want to save you, I want to bring you into life eternal. It's a powerful image that has been there from day one when God created his space. He made sure the bread and the wine were there to let us know how important it is to connect with him, to sit with him. The next part is the incense. The incense is very particular. Um, We would equate this to worship. But the incense itself was very particular. Uh, Listen here as we go into this passage. It says, using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together, sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. And earlier on, he tells them the ingredients and stuff to use. He says, grind some of the mixture into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I will meet With you in the tabernacle, you must treat this incense as most holy. Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It's reserved for the Lord and you must treat it as holy. That smell as you walked into the place was unique. It was the only place you got that smell. There's a uniqueness about this. And it's fascinating, it's, they, he takes it quite seriously. In another verse, in Leviticus, this is what happens, Aaron's son, Aaron who's the high priest, his sons Nabab and Abihu, they took their senses and put fire in them and added incense and they are offer, offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So a fire came from out, from out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died. Remember last week we talked about, yeah, God's serious about his stuff, isn't he? It's kind of scary. You don't see many of those stories in Sunday school, but actually don't even see them in a sermon very often. But it's just telling you how important this is to God. Don't fool around with it. And the people back then didn't fool around with it. Worship is reserved solely for God. Full stop. That incense, that lifting up of our God, Only for him. Only for him. In his space, when we walk into it, into his presence, it's just him. It's his smell. It's his identity. It's all he is. We come into it and we worship him alone. Then there's the lampstand. The lampstand is the only bit of light in the holy space. The only bit of light. It's equated to a covenant, a relationship that we have with God. Today, I would say it's like the Holy Spirit that brings light. When I first went to Israel, and there's an institute there called the Temple Institute. Fascinating place. They're really hung up on wanting to build the temple again. And it's fascinating to see how many Christians really get excited about that, which is actually quite sad. Because we already have a high priest. We don't need sacrifices. But when I saw the menorah for the first time, because they've got an actual built menorah as per the specifications in the Bible, the thing is huge, huge, I don't know if you can see the people down the bottom right side. You can't carry that on your back. This thing lit up the whole room. It was the only source of light. It was a covenant relationship. There were seven stands, one single uh, shoot that stride, and then three from each side springing out of it to make up seven Seven being God's number, the number of perfection. Seven representing the covenant he made with his people. And the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit that reflects the Father in heaven to us through Jesus. Isaiah puts it so well. He breaks down the menorah in this way. In uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says... A shoot will come up from the stump of Jess, from its roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That one that shoots up and out of it comes a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and He will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the makeup of the Lord's lounge room. He's in a space. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know, know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If there's no light in the room, we don't know what we're seeing. And that's how the Spirit works in our lives today. So what, how do we practically connect with God? What does a church space actually look like today for you and me? There's this um, great book called The Nine Sacred Pathways written a number of years ago by Gary Thomas. Um, and it kind of breaks down how we connect with God, how we can have that close encounter with God. And he broke it down into nine pathways. Because though, I, you know, when I read the nine pathways, I kind of sat there and I thought, well, I'm like five of them, you know, because how, how do you just quantify what this looks like? But then I, over time, as I got older, I realised that there were certain pathways I naturally go down to. One of them's this, the naturalists. This is the one I'm furthest from, by the way. The naturalists... They go on prayer labyrinths, they go on long walks, they connect with God in nature. That is where they find themselves closer to God. Talk to Richard Willis when he goes up, that, up the escarpment, up the hill, he'll tell you, that's where I connect with God. I'm away from the whole world. I can see here the nature, the grandeur of his, of his beauty of what he's created before me. And that's his safe place. That's his holy space. For some of us, it's our sensates. We, we have senses and, and, you know, whether it's art or incense. And the way we express ourselves is how we connect, how we get into that holy space with God. You know, there's nothing wrong having a colouring in book and using that to connect with God. You know that, right? And some people, like my grandmother, would light incense in the morning. Stunk the whole place out. But she connected with God through that. Traditionalists. Traditionalists are kind of into the rituals, the liturgy, the, the fasting. I'm finding more of... Uh, a connection as I get older with the traditionalist way. Uh, When I was in Rome four years ago, going into those big churches and being overwhelmed with the liturgy, there was just a new found connection, a new holy space with God. Some of us are ascetics. We, We prefer to be alone, solitude, silence. And for some of us, that's the scariest thing on the planet. Some of us like to be alone. And it's in that lonely space, that quiet space, that solitude that we connect. We find that holy space. For some of us, we're activists. You know, uh, this idea that we have to be, you know, one or the other. Social justice is a huge aspect of being a follower of Jesus Christ prayer walks around neighbourhoods, intercessory prayer that we do on a Sunday, praying for the food bank, praying for the needs of the world of the people around us, that is an activist. And for some of us, that's the holy space we connect with God. For others, it's caregivers. We give our time and service and hospitality. We don't all have to be Marys, by the way. Martha's are cool too, you know. I think some of us feel bad because we're maybe a little bit more like Martha than Mary, not sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's okay. The way you connect with God is through that. Service, hospitality. Most of you don't know who sets up teas and coffees on a Sunday. They're quietly in the background. They quietly come back out. They go back in. They're serving us. They're serving God. That's their holy space. But for others of us, it's enthusiasts. Enthusiasts are the, uh, the worshipers. They just like pump it let's get into this, mosh pit, get the music going. There, look at all the young guys going for it. And sometimes less uh, maybe enthusiastic, we'd say conversational prayer. You know, that is a way for a lot of them, a lot of us to connect in that holy space with God. And a lot of us also are intellectuals. You know, Bible memorization, study. I, I was, my, my initial walk with God when I turned 21 and became a Christian was actually in a brethren church and, and the difficulty that I found with the brethren church was that the only way you connect with God is intellectually. So, you know, the enthusiasts were kind of pushed to the side, the caregivers were kind of, activists definitely out the door. It's not, it's not either or people, it's all. There is space for Bible memorization for those who do connect with God and letting His Word just fill you. So I've given you eight, but the challenge I'm going to give you this morning is the ninth one. Because the ninth one is not about what we do individually. Because all of this, as good as it is, as really important as it is in our walk with Jesus, there is something about God that wants us to connect with Him together. The door to the temple isn't just a one-person door. If you see the doors, they're huge. The temple grounds are huge. He wants people to gather around Him. And while we connect with all these things in a good and good and positive way, God wants you to connect with others with him. Because guess what heaven heaven's going to be like? I, I've told you this and I keep saying it. I know I repeat myself a lot. But C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, anyone read that book, you need to read it. The picture of heaven and hell there is amazing. And his picture of hell is very simple. Everybody having their own estate further and further away from everybody else. And heaven is overwhelmingly full of people who just want to be together. Fascinating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this to the church. So he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You, not as in singular, but in bad English, use. Use all. Okay, use all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your, not singular, you all, midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And while a personal relationship is very important in your growth for becoming deeper in your walk with Jesus, even more so connecting and coming together is important. And as I've been telling you from day one, we're going on this spiritual disciplines course and I've told you the first, two, some, uh, the first two courses of the semester, spiritual discipline 101 and 102, the first part being repentance, remember that one? The sacrament of communion. And by the way, thank you to the life groups who are stepping up. I think we begin next week. Rather than wait for somebody else to come forward and set communion, we Baptists do things together. And so we will be served communion, hopefully, every week, in part because we need to repent. We don't do that enough. And then the reflection, the self-examination, looking inwardly, being honest uh, with ourselves about ourselves. Spiritual Discipline 101 and 102. Today, semester two, Spiritual Discipline 201, contemplation. That's number nine. I call it God-encountering. Now, while contemplation happens in all spaces and places, we're not necessarily intentional about contemplating God. We don't stop in our day, or many of us don't, and just stop and think, hmm, God. That's the wonderful thing about the old world. You couldn't stop and not contemplate the grandeur of God. When you walked into a church building, it was just like, <gasps> anyone walked into any cathedral? It takes your breath away. You, you know, people think, oh, all that gold and all that riches and all. Put that aside for a moment. Just see what these people have done in honour of God. It's, it's, it takes your breath away. How did they do it? They didn't have AutoCAD. They didn't have, you know, any kind of program to make it work for them. They had to do it by hand. They had to calculate and think it. It took a lot of time. And they did it. And when you came into a town, if you go into Europe or or South America, you just see these small towns and the churches. right. You can't help but contemplate. Oh, my goodness. Now, there might be wreckage all around. There might be poverty and war and famine all around. But when you see the grandeur, you think, God, it's contemplation. It's it's the focal point. It's the awe. It's the takes your breath away. It's the how great is our God. It takes us out of the mire that we tend to throw ourselves in or find ourselves in. It takes away the bills that we need to pay, the problems we have with our neighbours or our friends or especially our families. It takes us away from what do I do tomorrow or how do I get through today? It takes us away from all of that, sets our eyes upwards and it just says one thing, how great is our God because the saints of old would get a glimpse of heaven and it would change the whole life perspective. All of a sudden, life didn't look that bad. Sure, we suffer. Sure, we struggle. But contemplation sets our eyes onto God. And that is most probably the most important thing we should be doing here on a Sunday. It's providing a space for all of us to take a moment to contemplate God. Not what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how we're going to pay our bills, or how we're going to make this work, or what mission needs to happen. Put that all aside. You're here to contemplate God. When you walked into this holy space, there was nothing you could do. You were in his space. And he just wanted your total and absolute attention. This is contemplation. This is spiritual discipline 201. This is the next step. We get so hung up. We are practical people. I get it. I'm worse than all of you. I'm always thinking of ways to make things work. But God just sometimes just wants us. How does that psalm say it? Be still. And know that I am God. We're going to be talking about Elijah in the next series. And when he comes into that cave and there's thunder and there's lightning and the one time he just stops and he's still, what does he hear? The still a small voice. How great is our God. Let all the earth sing. Let all the earth hear. Let all the earth know how great is our God. And it begins With me, it begins with us. Amen. Ask our music team to come up. (laughs) Down here. That's amazing. As they sing this song, I'm actually going to ask you to do as you please. You want to stay seated? Stay seated. Don't get up because people around you are getting up. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you just want to be there, just be there. Contemplate God. Let the words just reverberate within you and set your inner eye on our God in heaven. Think of our great our God. Don't worry about your problems for now. Don't overwork your mind. Give it to God.